NVIDIA's vast network of strategic OEMs help us offer customers a choice when it comes to the hardware on which they choose to build their AI-ready infrastructure. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the John Meyer Podcast. Today's topic, your place in the AI revolution. Now, before we get to that topic, how about we give our guests... Hi, I'm Joe Markwith. I am the Chief Moat Strategist, and Moat stands for Mastering Operational AI Transformation. I am Nathan Cartwright. I'm the Chief Architect for Digital Velocity at CDW. Okay, Nathan, generative AI, we're going to start that topic. By the way, this is the first time we're talking about it here in this series while we're at AWS reInvent because uh, generative AI, I actually learned a lot about it from a previous guy. We didn't even meant, mean to go to that topic. What the heck is generative AI? <laughs> um, well, generative AI is not really anything incredibly new. Um, obviously, we had the hype cycle with OpenAI that, you know, when they uh, introduced ChatGPT. Um, but generative AI is basically taking... Uh, large amounts of training data, uh, like these large language models, for example, um, they were trained on huge amounts of data from like public internet, um, different data sources, and uh, they use that to create statistical models to generate output uh, based on the user's input. So I, I kind of equate it to like a, a kind of like a parrot. So um, parrots trained for um, certain uh, maybe conversations, uh, and then based on the input, um, it's going to give you you know, some output, basically. So generative AI is my own parrot. Your own parrot. Yes. Um, and this, this is kind of why uh, we say like, you know, data is, is very important, data governance and, and making sure that data is uh, clean going in. Um, we don't want any bias in those models because obviously if that model was trained with bias in it, um, the output is going to have the same thing. So it's kind of like if your parrot, um, let's say your parrot uh, is in a, in, in a household where there's a lot of foul language, um, then don't be surprised if that parrot uh, calls your neighbor a jerk. I mean, starts cussing at your, your, your neighbor, so. That is a good way to put it. Let, let's, let's talk about how is generative AI actually helping customers? How do you talk to people about generative AI and how it could be applied within their company? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. Um, how they apply it in their company really, from our, our perspective, starts at the leadership level of understanding the context of the AI from a, a business impact. So it's really about the business impact of the generative AI. So right now there's a lot of shadow AI going on within companies that uh, uh, users are, are, are playing with and the company doesn't know about it. And from a business impact, what are the security risks behind that? What are the biases to Nathan's point, where the biases creeping in and how do they monitor and, and, and keep tabs on that? Shadow AI, that's a new term, like shadow IT. We were building infrastructure in our own little cloud, and then all of a sudden I'm putting company data there. Now with shadow AI is I'm using company data in an open source chat GPT to perform something. Now they have that data and it lives out there forever. And I think that's one of the biggest concerns with companies on implementing any type or utilizing generative AI is because of the security concern. How do you really get them past that? How do you, a lot of ways. It's more on the technical side of it, but uh, you, need, you need governance models. You need governance programs to be put in place. You need, at the leadership level, you need them all talking the same language to understand what the security concerns are. So it's not just the data that's going into maybe these larger public models. It's also the security concern of downloading um, uh, models, local models from Hugging Face. So there's LLMs that you can download from an open source community uh, called Hugging Face. Uh, what, it, what are those models? What is the safety around those? How, how were they trained? Again, to Nathan's point, how were they trained? What biases come with those? And if that's happening in the shadows and you don't know about it, you don't know how that's impacting then your business and your bottom line. 
Nathan, generative AI, as actually AI has been around for a very long time, but why has generative AI picked up so recently? Actually, it's, it hasn't even been a year. I think, oh, maybe it has. November, mm, yeah. it, it kind of like uh, uh, ChatGPT came out and then it really picked up in January. Yeah. Why? Uh, mostly because of ChatGPT. I think it was the, the, the big thing out there. I mean, OpenAI had been working on uh, the GPT language models for a while. And, and actually, generative AI really goes back all the way to like 2018 with Google. Um, Google invented the BERT model. Um, so like Google was really the the forefront of all those generative AI natural language um, processing. And what OpenAI did is, is they wanted to uh, just see how people will interact with the language models and also get that training data too, so it can pick up on those conversations. Uh, and, and that's how some organizations, you know, IP ended up in those, those language models. But um, it was really, um, you know, is kind of genius in, in a way to get the consumers out there to use it. Because obviously if consumers are going to use it, uh, then they're going to want to use it for, you know, to Joe's point earlier, it's going to want to use it at, at work. Um, so that was really, a, you know, kind of a genius thing on OpenAI's part. Um, but yeah, we've been dealing with generative AI for probably since like March, April, uh, especially when Azure uh, introduced OpenAI in, in their stack. And they started use, utilizing it. Go ahead, Joe. No, I was going to say, it's, it's the democratization of the AI that's really the, um, the, the topic. But Nathan's right on, on point. This has been around for a very long time. So a lot of it's really nothing new. It's the fact that it's in everybody's hands right now and the velocity of change that we've seen over the last year, that's really the impact of why this is a topic and why we're even having the conversation. You said the velocity of change, but it, should we slow down? Should we slow down and understand how I got some, <laughs> your facial expression on slowing down? Is this a good thing? Should we slow down and really understand where it's going, how to utilize it? before we implement it everywhere and everybody consumes it? Should who slow it down? <laughs> I, I'm not United saying States? who, well, I mean, let, let's talk about a company. Let's go from a company perspective, yeah. right? Uh, and you talk to a lot of CEOs and you talk to a lot of people who want to implement it and they're like, do it now, let's get it done. Should you be like, yo, first, slow down a little bit. Let's yes. understand it. Okay, so Absolutely. they should slow down and understand, but also understand how their company's utilizing it now because we all know that their engineers are using ChatGPT, but nobody knows about it. Yeah, it, it's, it's the why are you going to use it? You know, starting with the why. You know, what's, what's the business value? What's the business impact of why you're going to implement it? And we, we've been down this road before. We, it's just rush to uh, uh, chase this new sparkly thing and implement it, but we haven't figured out why we're using it. I think that's what a lot of companies do. Hey, the newest thing's out, we gotta go use it. Uh, let's go implement it, do it now. And it comes from the top because they see this shiny new object and the engineers like, we're kind of playing around with it, but we don't see a use case for it. Tell us where it is. And the engineers are actually, I, I feel the engineers are the ones who should be driving that dis discussion, right? I mean- Well, let's loop back to the shadow AI. You know, what's the use case for it? Where are we going to use it? How are we going to apply it? Um, well, in the, shadow, in the shadows, you have people using it right now, proving value, getting productivity multipliers out of it. But we're saying- no, 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 go away. Let's hide the shadow AI while we're looking for a use case. They're right there in front of you. If you just bring them out into the light, secure them, scale them, monitor, celebrate the innovation, and scale from there. Uh, that's a really good way to look at it. Nathan, talk to me about what is digital velocity? Uh, so digital velocity is our um, service integrator arm of CDW. Uh, so we have uh, full stack developers. Um, we have a data analytics practice, IoT practice, uh, and then... 
uh, in the uh, chief technology officer's office where, where I am at, uh, we're starting uh, to incubate some of the AI, uh, especially generative AI right now. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really our development shop uh, and where our full stack developers live and where AI is going to live as well. How does that play a part with customers though? How does digital velocity help customers? Uh, so for customers, we really offer like a, a bespoke solutions for them. So, you know, there's not one size fits all when it comes to development or AI or language models. Uh, so we really get to understand the customer's business case. Um, going back to that question of like why they want to implement this technology. Uh, and then we can really customize a solution that's you know, specific to their, their use case. Now, Amazon Bedrock just came out. Mm -hmm. I want to get your feedback on it. What do you think? So Bedrock is really interesting because um, they're probably one of the first ones who introduced multiple models, um, not just their own. So obviously Amazon has Titan, um, but also they have a huge investment into Anthropic as well. So you can also do Claude version two. Um, actually, we created a demo here for our booth um, to talk about uh, CDW. Um, so we use some of the other services inside of AWS, such as Kendra. Um, so we went and scraped the entire CW website, also the AWS website. And what that allows us to do is do retrievals from Kendra, that, that web scraping, um, run that through um, Anthropic Cloud model, uh, and that way you can interact with, with the data. Um, but yeah, Bedrock is, is really, really interesting because, uh, you know, actually, I think this week there's supposed to be some big announcements. Uh, there always is. Yeah. Now, everybody, I just want to give a little disclosure. We are at AWS reInvent recording this, and we're definitely going to get this out in time. But at reInvent, there's always some big announcement. And, of course, Bedrock had one previously, only a couple of weeks ago. Um, I forget what was it. It was a little... Uh, I'm trying to think of it. It was this screen. It was a playground screen. It'll come to me then. Yeah. Yeah, so they've they've got a bunch of different models in there. Um, there's 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 going to be something with chips coming out here soon. I can't remember exactly what's going to be announced, but um, yeah, quite a bit out there. Joe, let me ask you the question around AI, and you're talking with companies and digital velocity. It kind of ties together, but how would you operationalize AI technology within a company? Like, how do you really get it to be part of a company if a company once bought into it? Yeah, that, that, that's a really good question. The, the best way to do it is to, you need a cross-functional team of people because th this AI touches every part of the business. You know, going back again to that shadow, not to beat up on the shadow AI thing, but it's being used in marketing, it's being used in sales, it's being used in operations, product design and development, everyone's using it, it's used in legal. So the, the thing that you need to do is really get a, um, call it a center of excellence, a cross-functional center of excellence to operationalize it, to do that use case analysis filter down the most effective uh, use cases, most productive use cases for your business, and then execute on those. Talking about digital velocity, is it implementing, helping customers implement AI, handling it? Walk me through the process that it helps a customer. And then I want to talk to Joe a little bit more about, I don't want to say selling it. I want to say showing the value to mm -hmm. customers. Uh, so I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, so obviously all the, the major CSPs out there like Microsoft, Amazon, uh, Google, they all have their own like personal productivity assistants. Like, yeah, Microsoft has Copilot. Um, Google has Duet AI. Um, so where, uh, where digital velocity comes in is a company wants to do a customized uh, kind of like pipeline. So for example, we have a big marketing customer who wants to um, do marketing campaigns and, and use generative AI and these large language models and the text to image models as well to create marketing 
uh, campaigns and, and customize images. Like we had one customer who they wanted to use the text to image to uh, customize. Um, like let's say you're going to shop for McLaren down here. At, uh, at yeah, Hall, I'll here. be right back. <laughs> and uh, what they want to be able to do is if you go to that website and you click on that car, you look at that car, they want to be able to take and have a picture of that car in your driveway by using generative AI. Um, so that kind of that data pipeline of, of integrating the generative AI into maybe their CRM system and their website and giving the output to um, their you know, customer email address, um, that's kind of where Digital Velocity comes in to, to bridge those gaps between those different systems. Any chance you had a hand in helping uh, Amazon do that? So did you notice that Amazon has one for influencers? It's basically selling products. And you take a picture of something and it says, I'd like a nice kitchen background. And all of a sudden my toaster has a nice kitchen background and I don't have to do it. That sounds like similar. It's, it's very, very similar to, uh, to what uh, Digital Velocity can do. I see that as a value add, and I want to ask the operational thing, but I have, I have a, I got to get to this question. Isn't that taken away from like the people who develop photos, right? Now AI is doing this, and I like I, I feel that some of the value or the naturalness of a videographer does is that it's 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 pulling from them. Yeah, not really, um, because one of the things that generative AI cannot do is it cannot generate any content that is not, you know, it's only, only going to generate content based off the training data. So if there's not images out there um, in that training data to, to put an output, like just give you an example. Um, I asked generative AI to create a photo of a whale inside of a submarine, kind of, kind of random. How'd that work out? <laughs> there is no photo of a whale inside of a submarine. So generative AI couldn't do that. Just give me a picture of a whale. Um, so there is still need for, uh, you know, for those photographers to, to create that training data. So like, for instance, um, a, like a new car comes out, right? That generative AI model is not going to be able to create an image of somebody in that car until there's a photo of that car in the training data. Um, so those photographers are going to, you know, be used to create training data to go into those models. So there's still going to be needed and necessary in order to create that training data. Actually, a new job market. Yeah, exactly. Really, yeah. you're not creating it for the car company or somebody. You're creating it for the people that are training the data models. Yeah, it's very similar to this, this new thing, prompt engineering, right? Um, so, yeah, another example of like prompt engineering. Um, there, I saw a couple job postings for prompt engineers, six-figure salary, no technical skill required. You just have to understand linguistics and language to be able to apply for that. Excuse position. me, wh where's that job, <laughs> job at? Let me get to that. It's cdw.com. Uh, <laughs> I'll be sure to look at it after I'm done. Joe, talk to me about more about operationalizing uh, you know, generative AI within a company. Yeah, so uh, operationalizing, the gener you've, you've both been kind of touching on it. Um, when you're operationalizing, using the whole video and image, you know, text to image, you, you look at the operational uh, aspect of it from many aspects, but one right now in context is uh, jobs. You know, if, if we can now generate content faster, quicker, let's say 80% faster, we can get 80% there with the generative AI, and then we need you know, the human element of the last 20%, that last mile to finish it off. Well, do we need as many, and this is a tough conversation to have, do we need as many graphic designers, or can one person 5X themselves, 10X themselves with generative AI? And then what happened? What do we do with those other people? What other tasks are they on? Are they are they using the AI for other tasks, or are they reassigned? So there, there's a lot of leadership tough decisions from from a structural operational standpoint on how that impacts them. 
I think one thing to think about is while one door closes, another opens. So the graphic designers and, you know, you're taking five down to one and we're, we're losing jobs. But what jobs did we create that ultimately require new skill sets, new roles, right? Yeah, uh, there, there's a quote um, from, uh, uh, from IBM, actually, that AI won't take jobs, but people who use AI will take jobs from people who don't use AI. And I think, that's, I think that holds up pretty true. It's, it's a job skill that's now required. If, if you look at uh, everything in our lives, you know, people who use the internet, it's just a, a common skill. People who use Office, it's just a common skill. AI is the same way. If you look at it in music, you know, music used to be, you need, you need to know how to play the piano and guitar. Now you just need to understand music and be able to uh, do it digitally. You know, so digital has transformed how we, how we approach the work, not necessarily the work, the outcome itself. Talking about digital, digital velocity, how are you approaching companies to utilize it or that it's the value that they should be investing in? Uh, it's the disruption that they're investing in. And if they don't do it, their competition is. That's very true. If they're not investing in the disruption, ultimately, I think uh, everybody's going to use generative AI in some capacity. Right. Whether it's personal or business. And like you mentioned, what is the business? What's the use case? Why do I really want to use this? Not because it's cool and fun and I can summarize a document and pull out some of this, but I still have to validate the data. Actually, that's a really good question, Nathan. How do I trust the data that comes out of it? Well, you call our data team instead of Digital Velocity. Um, and what we do actually do is we go through that and make sure like the, the data quality is, is good. Uh, in solid, make sure that there's um, you know no bias, and make sure that the data that's going into those models um, are, are accurate. Um, what like one of the reasons, uh, or one of the things customers are doing with these large language models is uh, something called uh, RAG or um, retrieval augmented generation. So we don't really have to train a customized language model. Um, we're going to grab data from let's say a OneDrive or, or a website, and then use a foundational model to. Um, you know, to really get an answer or, or, or summarization out of that. Uh, and what that really allows customers to do is uh, make knowledge or make access to knowledge um, easier. Because uh, let, let's say, for example, a uh, customer might have um, a, a knowledge base like in, in ServiceNow or Salesforce or something like that. Um, but what the large language model is able to do is help uh, people disseminate that knowledge a little bit better by you know, rewording it or explaining it you know, a little bit easier. For them to understand. So basically, you can take KBs from a company from proprietary, all the information that's been obtained over the years, because I've wrote plenty of those KB articles, and you can have them grab it, summarize it, and pull out the correct data, make sure it's still good. Will it update the document? Because document updating uh, sucks. Nobody likes that. Yes, I'll use it. Nobody does that half the yeah. time. So, I mean, that's how it could help? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, um, or, or another way is um, maybe there's some language in that documentation that maybe a, a, that knowledge worker doesn't really understand, uh, maybe different, different nomenclature or whatever. Uh, and what those large language models can do is reword it a, a bit. Uh, and, and like you can even take um, some of these large language models, you can say, summarize this for a five-year-old to be able to understand. And it's able to, to, to do that for you. So it just makes it you know, mix that knowledge in a context um, that's more accessible to the end user. Joe, when you introduce your title, part of Moat, can you talk to us a little bit more about what Moat is, how it's maybe helping customers, how you're helping customers, what can you do with it? Yeah, yeah, let, let's, let's take it at the, the higher level of where the name came from. 
it, it comes from a couple of different areas. It's a very loaded uh, acronym. It comes from uh, our CEO, Chris Leahy. Uh, she's used that term quite often you know, about having a moat around the company. It also comes from Warren Buffett, where he believes in investing in companies that have a strong and enduring moat around them from an investing standpoint. And it also notably comes from a Google memo that was evidently leaked out around February, March of this last year, somewhere around there, uh, where they said, we have no moat that the open source community, the competition was moving as fast as they were on AI development suddenly, because this whole democratization of AI was just let loose and captured the imagination of developers and you know, just people in general. So what, uh, what we're doing with Moat is to help build a moat around, an AI moat around our, our, our customer's enterprise, so that way they can, air quotes, own their AI and have a degree of AI sovereignty and control over their destiny with it. And that's really the purpose of, of what we're trying to do here with Moat. And as great as CDW, you know, just a, a quick plug for CDW, is that we're handling it from the, the business strategic standpoint all the way through implementation, execution with Nathan. It's just a great holistic journey story that we have to tell our customers. So it's pretty exciting to, to be at this point in time on this topic. Can I use generative AI within my company isolated? Without the data going out, I own it, it can be a thing, and be able to, that I, my company yeah. is comfortable with it because Joe's having these conversations and you're helping the companies do these. Yeah, so there, there's actually uh, a, a lot of stuff out there that, that helps with this. Um, for instance, um, let's, let's talk about um, you know, Amazon and Bedrock, right? Uh, so the foundational models in there are, are really read-only. Um, so like you're not training those foundational models, and actually you can't train those foundational models. Uh, so you know that model is within your environment. You have a copy of it within your secured environment. Uh, and even, even then, that data is not being used. So those interactions are being tracked within that, that language model. So you know if you're in Azure or AWS or Google, um, that data is yours just as like an S3 bucket uh, inside of AWS. That's, that's your data inside your environment, Se secured, encrypted, all that stuff. But wouldn't I want to be able to train the data model with what's coming out of my company so that we can make it easier and I don't have to ask the same question over and over again? So that's kind of where the, the retrieval augmented generation comes into play. Um, so you use those foundational models, but then uh, we do a series, uh, something called few shot training. Um, so like there's, there's a, there's a, LLM framework out there called LangChain that's, that's been really, really popular out there. Uh, it, it's an open source tool to where you can tie in all these different components. Like, so for our demo we did for uh, reInvent here, uh, we took that data from, from Kendra that we got of at ABS. Uh, and so what happens in that, that pipeline, or, or what they call it, a, a chain inside of LangChain, um, first what happens is we go and we query um, the knowledge source. We, we grab that knowledge. And once we have that knowledge, we take a prompt um, and like maybe that prompt is um, maybe instructions or, or persona. Like, um, for, you know, for us, we said, um, you're a uh, CW employee working in the booth, uh, going to answer questions on reInvent and CDW. Uh, then we attach that knowledge we, we got down, and then it comes back with, with an answer. Um, so you don't really need to train that model unless you're doing something, um, like, like give you an example of why you would want to train a model. Um, one of the things that people aren't really talking about too much is, is what it's going to be doing for like the medical community in, in bio research. Uh, so they're, they're using like text to image and large language models for like genome editing because it's, it's really the kind of the same thing as when you're talking with natural language is they can take uh, and generate images of like cancer cells and stuff like that based off of different input. 
Uh, and it's really all the same technology. And so in that case, you would want to train on a customized model. Um, but most of the time, foundational models are, are just, just fine. The, just to add to that, on the foundational models, they don't have to be large language models. They can be small language models as well, like uh, seven, eight gigabytes that can fit on a laptop and run even at that isolated of a level. So if you really want to have a private, personal AI within your enterprise, you can have models loaded up on a laptop, for example, and a chat interface just there for that user. I think that answers the security question that you can have it locally, you can have it within your company, uh, you're not using somebody else's, your know, data is not going out, then you're enabling your engineers to use generative AI in a safe way for your company. Obviously, after you decide what the use case is for. Before we wrap things up, Nathan, what is next for CDW and Digital Velocity? Uh, well, we're kind of doubling down on the whole AI thing. Uh, we're, we're building an AI practice, uh, really taking our, our you know, different components of, of CDW who already do AI. Like we have an intelligent experience team who we've been doing conversational AI for, for quite a while. Um, but yeah, we're really expanding out our AI capabilities, um, you know, data science and, and helping customers do large language models. Um, our high, uh, our, our uh, HPC team, our, our high capacity computing team, our high performance computing team rather, um, helping customers who want to do that stuff on-prem. On uh, so yeah, it was, it's, it's really exciting, a lot, a lot of work. I, I wish I was this popular when I was in high school. Um, <laughs> it's, it's been nonstop. Um, yeah, me yeah. too, man. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> me too. But there's better late than never, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's what I keep telling myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that keeps it going. But that's some cool stuff they're working on. Joe, what's next? What's next? Um, we, we just keep uh, getting out in front of the clients, helping the leadership get aligned with where the technology is and the pace of change. And that's probably the biggest challenge that customers are facing right now is the leadership doesn't have a full grasp, you know, uh, Confucius, the beginning of wisdom is to call things by their proper name. And it's getting that leadership to understand the scope and the magnitude of the opportunity in front of them and the responsibility of that, not just to the use case or their employees, but to their shareholders. And what's the near horizon look like? So we're just going to continue on with that, with our uh, getting in front of our customers, helping them frame the near horizon and what does that look like for them, separating the signal from the noise. Well, it sounds like some exciting times. Joe, Nathan, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, John. Thank you. All right, everybody. This has been an awesome episode of the John Meyer Podcast. Don't forget to hit that like, subscribe, and notify because, as always, we're out of here. NVIDIA's vast network of strategic OEMs help us offer customers a choice when it comes to the hardware on which they choose to build their AI-ready infrastructure.